For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. 11 minutes after nine, uh, Neil Prendival's show with Mick Mulcahy and going to our morning papers. The Sun's front page has Martin's due out in 24 hours, but... Killer Molly to stay in prison as the jail chiefs admit we made a mistake. Killers Molly and Tom Martins won't be freed this week after confusion in the US over their release dates. It was thought the dad and daughter may be freed from jail as early as today to the dismay of the uh, of uh, Irishman Jason Corbett's family. But North Carolina Department of Adult Correction admitted last night a mistake had been made in calculating the release dates which will be in the summer now of 2024. And a spokesperson said, we're determining this uh, as we speak, I think, to try and arrive at an, at, at an exact date. But it looks like uh, probably next June. Slain Irishman Jason Corbett's family, however, were left devastated after being wrongly told, and it was all over news bulletins yesterday, that his killers, Molly and Thomas Martins, will be released this week, less than one month after they appeared in court. I think they're 40, 44 months uh, already in custody. Uh, so they are going to get out now next June, is what we're told. Twisted Molly, this is from The Sun. This is their text. Twisted Molly, 40, and her ex-FBI agent father, Thomas, uh, were sent back to jail last month after they agreed to a voluntary manslaughter plea deal over Mr. Corbett's shocking death. However, confusion reigned last night after dad of two Jason's family were told the pair would be uh, not be released now until June 2024 following an administrative mix-up. So uh, that is making the front page of The Sun today. The uh, star's front page has stabbed suspect out of coma. Gardaí are set to quiz the chief suspect for the uh, Dublin crash knife attack after he awoke from a coma. It has emerged. It comes as Gardaí injured in the frenzied riots that follow the stabbing attack on a crash worker and three children uh, has had to have a toe amputated. So Gardaí will quiz the chief suspect um, Sources uh, told the newspaper that the suspect's awake and breathing by himself but is not yet medically fit to be questioned by detectives from Mount Jai Garda Station probing the horror knife attack on the crash at Gaelskull Kalosh Tavura on Dublin's Parnell Square East on November 23rd last. After questioning the man, Gardy will send a file to the Director of Public Prosecutions. Uh, sources say Gardy will be pushing for the DPP to charge the sub- suspect with attempted murder, uh, an offence that carries a sentence of up to life in prison. That's the Daily Star today. To the examiner, planning given for Mahan Hotel despite Rhodes' body objections. Uh, Sean Murray reporting in the Examiner that a 10-storey hotel planned for Jacobs Island in Mahan has been given the green light by on board Planola despite an objection being lodged by a state body to the plans 15 months ago. Transport Infrastructure Ireland, or TII, whose function is to deliver and operate the country's national road network, had initially lodged the appeal, claiming the proposed development would put at risk the public investment made and being made in the M8, N40 and associated junctions. Uh, TII said the plans for the 165-bed hotel at Jacobs Island, alongside separate plans for almost 500 homes on an adjacent site, represent an intensification of development which will create a further unacceptable impact on the operation, capacity and safety of the N40 Ring Road 
around Cork. There's an artist's impression of the uh, phase two of Jacobs Island, including that 10-storey hotel. Got the green light, despite TII concerns, and you can check out that artist's impression in the examiner this morning. Park closes for works, says uh, the Echo Bishop Lucy Park will close to the public from tomorrow to facilitate enabling works ahead of a redevelopment of the amenity, which the Lord Mayor of Cork has said will deliver a new park for a modern era while respecting the past. I'm old enough to remember when they did that uh, many years ago and uh, remodeled the park. And uh, I think people will miss the sort of a Christmas light fair that uh, used to happen there as you'd wander through. Uh, but it's going to be closed for more than a year, apparently, so probably next Christmas as well. The closure of the park will facilitate enabling works such as the removal to storage of park furniture and advance investigative works. The redevelopment works will commence early in the new year and are expected to be completed in the early part of 2025. The Mail today has shocking. Martin hits out at GAA Go. The Tornished is upset as three Cork games are to go behind a paywall. Helen Bruce reporting in the mail that Tornished Micheál Martin has described as shocking the fact that three of Cork's hurling matches will be broadcast behind a paywall on GEA Go next year. It's been confirmed a total of 38 exclusive hurling and football championship games will be streamed by the pay-per-view service GEA Go uh, in 2024, including three of Cork's four games in the Monster Hurling Championship. Yesterday, the president of uh, the GEA, Larry McCarthy, defended the decision, saying the games would not be shown at all if uh, GEA Go did not air them. There has been a backlash to matches being shown exclusive, being shown exclusively on GEA Go rather than free to air on RTE. And earlier this year, the Tornister said he was unhappy about a creeping paywalling for sports coverage and reacting yesterday to the announcement that three of Cork's matches next season would be behind the paywall. Uh, Meal Martin said, that's shocking. He continued, let me see the full fixture list and I'll comment. But my point is generally that I think in terms of games like that, as many people as possible should have access to these games. Why? Because if we believe in the game of hurling, we want as many people as possible to see these games and not everybody will see them behind the paywall. Hope to talk about that later on in uh, the programme as well. But I think it's down to a kind of condensed fixtures list. They're kind of compressed into a very short period of time, but we'll investigate that a little later on on the Neil Prendival show. Fans are seeing red, though, uh, over the fee to watch Cork hurlers. Also agrees John Fogarty uh, on the front of the examiner today. Cork fans will have to pay to see all but one of their team's Monster Senior Hurling Championship games on GAA Go next season. At the launch in Croke Park, it was confirmed that the county's first three fixtures, this is across April and May, will not be televised free to air and that fans will have to pay for them on subscription platform jointly owned, by the way, by the GAA and RTE. Uh, let's look at the mail again and mother praises incredible st- uh, strength of stabbed child. The mother of the five-year-old girl who was left fighting for her life in a stabbing attack outside of Dublin school has said her daughter has shown incredible strength. The uh, little girl was left in a critical condition after she was attacked outside Galeskull Kolosh de Vura on Parnell Square East on November 23rd. Bedside vigil is ongoing by her family. A GoFundMe has been set up for the girl. More than €27,000 has been raised for her and her family. And a message from her mother on the platform reads, Dear all, thank you so much for the incredible gesture and kindness you have shown our family during these troubled times. Your thoughts, prayers and generosity have and will go 
a long way. Our little girl has shown incredible strength and is still here with us. We don't know yet what lies ahead as it's still early, but she's resilient and limitations will not stop her. Thank you so much. And uh, that is... Uh, readable today in the Irish Daily Mail. Uh, now, news just coming into us. Uh, two people sustained minor injuries in a two-car road traffic collision on the abandoned side of the Inishannon Bridge. Emergency services have responded to the scene and traffic is heavy and slow in the area as a result. So avoid driving through there or to there if you can. That's two people sustaining minor injuries in a two-car road traffic collision on the abandoned side of the Inishannon Bridge. Emergency services have responded. They're there. Traffic is heavy and getting through slowly, so avoid the area if you can. Uh, once again, the abandoned side of the Inishannon Bridge as uh, the list of icy roads continues to grow. Back to the morning papers. Uh, nearly done. Uh, the Mirror today has McEntee set to win the Doyle vote of confidence. Independents are vowing to back the Justice Minister. Very interesting article, by the way, on page 8 uh, of today's uh, Irish Examiner by Fergus Finlay, who wouldn't be your out-and-out Finnegale supporter now, but has a very interesting position uh, on why he believes um, Helen McEntee will and should um, morally should win uh, that vote. A very interesting position from uh, from a, a quarter I didn't expect it from. Uh, Fergus Finlay wouldn't be a, a huge Fine Gael fan, as I said. Justice Minister Helen McEntee, though, looks likely to win a confidence motion in the Doyle this afternoon. Several independents pledged to back her. Sinn Féin tabled a motion of no confidence last week over its frustration, frustration with the policing response to the Dublin riots on November 23rd. Tornish to Micheál Martin insisting all Fianna Fáil TDs would support his cabinet colleague. He said, we all have to unite to oppose those who wish to attack the institutions of the state. Now, last night, at least 84 TDs were set to back Miss McEntee, with around 61 intending to vote for the no-confidence motion. Social Democrats TD Jennifer Whitmore has agreed a pair with uh, Green Party leader Eamon Ryan. In other words, Jennifer Whitmore was going to vote no confidence. Eamon Ryan was going to vote confidence. Uh, and because he's in Dubai, they've paired off. And um, that makes sense not to be travelling all the way back from Dubai and back out again for the business of government, uh, especially while holding the green mantle. It was expected he would return, of course, but Miss Whitmore agreed to sit the vote out so he would not have to return and then fly back to Dubai for a second time. McEntee set to win Doyle vote of confidence. That's in the mirror today. The smile of Shane McGowan uh, is in the sun today. Shane was smiling right until the end. Shane McGowan was just so determined to live just days before his tragic death. His wife revealed as momentum bills for the Pogues to be this year's Christmas number one. Um, somebody said to me last night that it actually is already number one. And I'm, you know, someone who presents on the radio, I'm actually unsure how the uh, charts are compiled compiled these days. Uh, obviously, it's not from uh, um, CD single releases. Is it, a, is it a combination of CD releases and streaming and uh, purchasing online or something? Uh, I wonder how that works. And I wonder what is number one now and will fairy tale of New York make it there and if it does I hope it's the unfiltered version uh, which is another travesty. The uh, iconic singer songwriter died peacefully last week surrounded by family after losing uh, a long battle with ill health. His best known hit fairy tale of New York is being tipped to land the coveted UK Christmas number one spot for the first time ever later this month and his collaboration uh, with Kirsty McCall races towards the top of the charts, if not already there. We'll check it out. Shane's long-term love told how her fearless hobby 
was determined to continue living before he lost his brave battle. So many people are losing loved ones all over the world. She said, and my prayers are for all of you uh, guys, as Shane's would be. Uh, the grieving wife also wrote that Shane was always able to smile right until the last and his smile had a way of lighting up everyone around him no matter how he was struggling. Victoria was speaking as the man who uh, signed the Pogues said it would be magical if McGowan landed the number one spot uh, this Friday uh, the day of his funeral and stayed there until Christmas. Actually I hadn't thought of that. If he hit it on Friday it would be the day of the funeral. Now okay let's uh, finish up our uh, newspaper review and go to the business of the day which of course is uh, phoners uh, getting the uh, engaging the mood of the listening public and uh, informing you generally so let's go to uh, our whatsapp line and see do we have Alan O'Reilly on the line hi Alan No, we're going to have to come back to Alan in a moment, which we will do. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106, Red FM. Coming up on 28 minutes past nine, and we have Alan O'Reilly on our WhatsApp line. Good morning, Alan, from Carla Weather. Hi, Alan. Hi, you Can you hear me okay? I can hear you now, yes. Now, temperatures ranging today, it's big, big spread there, minus five degrees to five degrees across the country. Yes, and some very icy conditions in parts of North Cork, especially this morning. With uh, I got a photo there of some very icy looking roads with varying temperatures, as you say, spread across even counties, never mind the country. So it, it is still a cold one um, and there is still some icy patches, but that cold is going to slowly move away now through today and into tomorrow. And we're back into the old conveyor belt of storms coming across the Atlantic and heading towards us. Yeah, so we're moving from frosty, icy conditions and more still conditions with very little wind to uh, windy, stormy and wet weather. Looking at some of the low-pressure systems uh, barreling towards us, uh, are we under threat from any of them to be hit full on? I think most of them seem to be peaking before they come to us and stalling as well just to the southwest or west of us. So we're not looking at a direct hit in terms of very strong winds, but we are looking at a lot of rainfall. The latest weather models actually show a risk of over 40 millimetres of rain in parts of Cork in 24 hours um, from Wednesday morning, from tomorrow morning until Thursday morning, and then more rain on top of that. So we could be looking at some very heavy rainfall between tomorrow and Thursday especially. Yeah. L- looking at the chart, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking at around midday tomorrow, for four or five hours, we could have some exceptional downpours. Yeah, you're looking at probably between three and five millimetres of rain per hour for, as you say, a couple of hours there from, from probably midday until late afternoon. So it is really going to be a downpour. But then more rain again uh, coming overnight as well and into Thursday. There will be some strong winds as well. Um, the winds will go from the north, kind of calm conditions to a very strong south, south to southwesterly wind. Um, very windy conditions Wednesday and Thursday. A little bit of a respite on Friday and maybe Saturday. But then there's a risk of another low pressure system coming towards the southwest on Sunday. 
Now, some of the models keep that a little bit further south or don't develop as much, but some of them have a, a pretty nasty storm coming into the southwest. So that one on Sunday needs careful watching. But um, one of the things I have been sharing on my social media, Mick, is, is that if you have drains that are, you know, have been very dry weather for most areas for the last week or so, a lot of leaves blowing around, make sure those drains are clear because that rain is going to need to get away uh, tomorrow and the next couple of days. Yeah, so you're going to need them clear tomorrow and Thursday anyway. Absolutely, yeah, because there's going to be heavy rain and it's going to come down quite quickly. Thankfully, river levels have dropped back a good bit in the last two weeks, but still, you know, we've had our yearly annual rainfall already. So any rain that comes now is extra rainfall, which means that water levels will quickly come back up again. So um, hopefully hopefully we can, we can kind of get into next week. Looks a less rainfall, a lot of uncertainty on the details, but um, there is less rainfall expected next week so if we can get through the next couple of days and over the weekend, hopefully things will start to improve again a little bit. Yeah, now the ECMWF, the weather forecast model, shows risk of some very strong winds on Sunday, but when you look that far ahead, we, we often get missed as, as they develop and track south and go over the UK uh, what, what are you seeing or what do you predict for Sunday? I think it'll miss yeah, us Yeah, so that yeah, that low pressure system, the GFS has it further south. And as you say, the weather models do often um, you know, overplay the northern part of it. But having said that, we've seen a few of them come further north actually this season than we have seen in the past. So we would have always expected them to go a bit further south. But this year that hasn't been the case. Um, the jet stream being that little bit stronger and the warmer water, now the colder temperatures we've had have brought back down the sea temperatures a little bit um, especially to the to the east of the UK but uh, I, I'd be keeping a close eye on it I, I, I'm not too concerned at the moment but certainly want to watch Yeah and of course you guys always err on the side of caution uh, I, nobody wants to be Michael Fish yeah, do you remember that guy who said, oh, everything's going to be fine and a no hurricane arrived? Yeah. Yeah, well, my motto is always prepare for the worst and hope for the best um, because that way, you know, I think people, people, especially anybody listening to in East Cork, I think might start to adapt that and learn from, from that awful Babette situation that, you know, it's always better to prepare for the worst case scenario um, and then hope for the best. Yeah, looking longer term towards the uh, the Christmas holidays, uh, what what are the chances of a white Christmas? Yeah, some of the weather models were hinting at, at a return to cold weather around the end of the month to the early January, but really they're all over the place now at the moment. There are some signals that we could look back to, look to kind of have a an end to the month that's a bit colder again. Uh, but honestly, Mick's trying to go that far now at the moment. I might as well try and give you a lot of numbers for the for the weekend because <laughs> it's 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 very very up and down at the moment. And I I think the the weather models are struggling even for next week. So going beyond that is really you know, hard and and very often, like we saw in this event, plenty of snow in Cumbria, plenty of snow in some parts of of the UK, and and we get rain. So you know, even when you get the bigger kind of colder, you might get that bigger scene where the cold comes towards us, but just not far enough to give us a white Christmas. Okay, and um, will it, can I be so cheeky as to ask you what's your stance on climate change? Do you believe it's uh, it's happening? Is it? In, oh, there's no doubt. 
no doubt climate change is happening. I think you can argue with the you know, the causes of it and, and in terms of the the things that are happening to change it, but there's no doubt that climate change is happening and we're going to see more intense rainfall. My my big concern for Ireland is flooding. Um, we still don't have a flood forecasting uh, system that's public. We don't have a flood warning system yet. Um, and unfortunately, we're going to see we're going to see more droughts, but then we're going to see more intense rainfall. And the rainfall is the big the big concern that I have in terms of I think compared to many parts of the world, we we will escape the worst of it. But the rainfall is certainly going to be something that we're going to have to adapt to. Yes, so, some of the rainfall this summer, while not monsoon by any standards, was was certainly you could call it epic for Ireland. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen, you know, much more intense rainfall than what we would have seen in the past. The fact that, you know, we have, you know, we've already seen a whole year's worth of rainfall and we have more to come um, and another three weeks of rain to come possibly, you know. But it's a, it's a duration, it's short duration and an intense rainfall as well, like those things we've seen in Tralee and a few other flash floods in other places as well. So the flooding is something that we're going to definitely have to pay, prepare for. And, you know, I, I'm I'm living in rural Carlow here and I haven't seen the cuttings on the side of the road being done to let the water off the road yet I think the maintenance in terms of the drains the culverts and stuff I think it's kind of slipped maybe down the priority list and I think it needs to go right back up to the very top of it Okay but just to recap over the next few days we're moving into more stormy conditions yeah, back to milder, up over 10 degrees, but wet and windy weather, I'm afraid. All right. Thanks a million. Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather. Thanks for coming on this morning. Cheers. Cheers, Mick. Now, we've got a great competition when we more than one, but uh, our main competition this week is with Michelle the Jewellers on the Neil Prendival Show. Now, Michelle, if you uh, didn't know, we are over 60 years operating as a family business in Cork. And uh, if it's bespoke jewellery for any occasion you want, that's the number one place to go. You can check it out online, pre-visit at michellejewellers.ie. Jewellery is a very personal thing. I don't think you can actually buy it online with any huge confidence, unless it's a mass-produced product. But if you want that personal attention, michellejewellers.ie for your pre-shopping and then pop yourself in. The quality is right, the service is right, they have the expertise and they're there for you. So we're going to play you uh, a clip of Diamonds Are Forever by Shirley Bassey. We're going to play that between 11 o'clock and 12. Okay, so don't call us just now, uh, but have a listen to what you will be listening for between 11 and 12. And that's it. The classic Shirley Bassey Diamonds Are Forever. When you hear that between 11 o'clock and 12, it'll be our cue to call. And then two listeners will go head to head by picking a random card from a deck of diamonds. So we've quartered out the deck. There's 13 diamonds. Uh, we're making the ace the high card. And lo and behold, wasn't it chosen yesterday. Somebody picked card number nine. I counted out the ninth card. It was the ace. Uh, almost an automatic win unless player number two also got the ace and then it would have been a playoff. Uh, but uh, the first person did win. So the listener who draws the highest diamond wins. Ace is high. So it's two is the lowest and then ten, jack, queen, king. Ace is the highest. This is with Michelle Jewellers and we'll play this between 11 o'clock and 12 today. Be listening between 11 and 12. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106. 
Red FM. Good morning from the Neil Prendeville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. It's 19 minutes to 10. My thanks in advance to our next uh, contributor for taking our call this morning. I didn't want to have uh, a Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, uh, ultimate praising of Helen McEntee or the main opposition party, Sinn Féin, uh, trying to detract from her, but more an independent view. And I've long held that my next guest is probably the most straight shooting politician in Dáil Éireann. He's an independent TD for Clare. Thanks for joining us, Michael McNamara. Thanks very much. High praise indeed. And I know, I know, wet Tuesday morning. Thanks very much. I, I'm not blowing smoke, but I, I, I've honestly had that contention, and that you, you, you don't seem to be afraid to speak truth to power. So, so let's look for some truth here, and, and maybe because you've commented on so many things, we can go around the houses here and maybe cover a couple of topics. But you won't be voting confidence in Helen McEntee today. No, I won't. I mean, the, the, the Garda figures speak for themselves. I mean, there are just under 14,000 Garda in the country now, which the government says is a lot. That's uh, the same numbers the, we had 20 years ago, Michael. Yeah, but there were uh, and 4,000 less than we had at the last general election. So, I mean, the numbers have been declining. Uh, Garda are leaving at an alarming rate. There's a, a lack of morale in the force, which is highlighted by the fact that they, very unusually, uh, the Garda representative body voted no confidence in Helen Mac- or in the Garda commissioner. Uh, so, and Garda are not being replaced. There's a, an increasing amount of lawlessness in the streets of inner city Dublin, both north and south inner city, during COVID. And since then, I'm told, I, I went to college in Cork at a great time there, but I'm told there's an increasing edge in the in Cork city centre too, Patrick Street, parts of it, uh, late at night, and that people would be careful at the very least going there, and that's not being tackled. Now, it may be that the problem is guard the management. It may be that lack of resources is the problem. Now, it shouldn't, obviously, resources are finite in any country, but at the moment, we have huge surpluses. So either way, if the, if the guard the management that have been selected by the government is not doing its job, or the resources that they're being provided with to do their job by the government are inadequate, that's a government problem. And Helen McEntee, unfortunately, um, presides over the department whose responsibility that is, and so I can't have confidence in her in those circumstances. Okay, let's look at the numbers, though. Same as 20 years ago, but we've got one million more people. And that's kind of, I think, where the simmering resentment is coming from. Maybe bubbling under, and it boiled over, of course, uh, last Thursday week. Um, but people are tired of hearing the likes of Leo Varadkar saying we're a wealthy country. And we have 11 or 12,000 of our own still homeless. There were, there were sleeping bags now being given to refugees last night. And they got 38 euro. And today they're going to get 70. I don't know where, some, what committee comes up with these numbers. But if, if anyone got out of their beds this morning to hop in their car, they know it's not a night for any animal even to be sleeping outside. We really are at bursting point. We are, unfortunately. Um, we're not unique in that. I think it's a, it's a problem across Europe. But on top of that, I mean, we have a more generous um, reception regime um, than other countries in Europe. So it is a place that people want to come. We also have a booming economy up to now and hopefully it will continue. And that's a large part of why people are coming here because they want to work, they want to make their lives better. And I mean, you can't, or I certainly anyway couldn't find fault with somebody who's coming to make their life better. But we can't take everybody in the world who wants to make their life better. We can and have a duty to take people who are fleeing persecution. But the difficulty is that everybody claims they're fleeing persecution Everybody claims asylum. Um, our asylum system is slow. It's one of the slowest in Europe. Uh, we have one of the better benefit systems while you're waiting to have your case processed, and it takes longer to have it processed. So by the time it is processed, whether you're found to, to, to be fleeing persecution or just coming here to make your life better, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but either way, 
you've been here for a while, you've put down roots, you've developed links, and in many cases you're entitled to stay. There have been two amnesties in the lifetime of this government introduced by um, Helen McEntee for people who are either undocumented or in the system for over two years. Now, the delays in the system are the direct responsibility of the Department of Justice. I mean, they speeded up, uh, Simon Harris made a lot of the fact that he speeded up processing times while Helen Mac- while he was replacing Helen McEntee when she was on maternity leave. I, I think they definitely speeded up, maybe not quite to the extent that he claimed, but they speeded up. But I'm told anecdotally from lawyers who work in the area, and I used to, uh, I'm a lawyer by background myself, that, um, that it is now slowing down again, that there are problems in the processing system. Mm. Now, you said you'd be surprised if the support is overwhelming, but you'd also be surprised if she didn't survive. No, I think she will. I mean, like the government have a majority, albeit a very slim majority. So they really need uh, just a couple of independents to to support them in this confidence motion to survive it. I mean, Michael Lowry last week made it clear he was going to vote for her. Um, Marion Harkin, who's in my own group and uh, is somebody that I work very closely with, um, has said that she won't be voting against her. But I mean, I, I think she just doesn't think that the motion is is um, is, is 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 a useful use of time at the moment. So in those circumstances, I think, yes, she will survive. The government will try to portray it as an overwhelming majority. Uh, I, I don't think it would be an overwhelming majority unless one of the opposition parties votes for her. I, I'm not entirely clear how the Labour Party is going to vote on this. I think the Social Democrats seem to be voting against it. People for profit, I'd expect, will vote against and Sinn Féin will obviously vote for their own motion. Yeah, I, I was wondering why Sinn Féin, you know, in the first hours that I heard about the uh, no-confidence motion, I was wondering why Sinn Féin actually did that. Uh, it seemed to be a little, I won't say facetious, but it seemed to be a little unnecessary. And then I got to thinking, maybe it's because Sinn Féin are expecting maybe more simmering resentment uh, that bubbles over and boils over into, into rioting, and they need to put a marker down to say, you know, we told you so. Now, I, I, I know that Sinn Féin have a very murky relationship with law and order, but at least they'll have put their marker in the sand here if anything happens again. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, there have been Sinn Féin motions that have been put down that I didn't agree with and that I didn't vote for. In this instance, uh, I mean, I, as I say, have been aware of who, when I was invo- chair of the, the COVID committee, I was getting correspondence from people who were concerned about increasing lawlessness in the streets. When everybody else was taken off the streets, um, there were still people on the streets and they almost came to own the streets because there was nobody else there. There were very few Gardaí on the, the beat. I mean, Gardaí were sort of being sent out to, to, to rural laneways to, if there was somebody building a house and there was a builder on top of a roof in the middle of nowhere, uh, they were being sent out to um, to stop them doing that during COVID because they were a threat to public health. I mean, there was a lot of nonsense and Gardaí were expected to police uh, a, a lot of unusual things that I would say they didn't want to police. But in any event, um, this is a problem that's been brewing for some time. Um, Sinn Féin is the largest opposition party and um, I, I, I would have thought, yeah, that there will be. I mean, the, the levels of resentment in Angarda Shikana itself towards its own management, uh, the lack of morale in Angarda Shikana itself is something that's clearly not going to go away, uh, no matter how big Helen McEntee's majority is today. So it is a problem, I think, that's going to continue equally. Um, the numbers of people arriving versus the, the length of time it takes to process asylum applications, that's her responsibility. That's not a problem mm. uh, that's, that's going to go away. So um, There wouldn't be uh, many, many previous justice ministers, Michael McNamara, that could be, you know, could be seen to be as reforming as uh, Helen McEntee. She's done a lot of work on sexual violence. Um, That's attracted widespread support. Mm. Uh, You know, there are elements in which she's been very positive. 
there are, but she's also been very divisive on um, stuff like the incitement to hatred bill. Um, we have an incitement to hatred bill. Um, a number of people have been arrested under the provisions of it in recent times. Um, uh, some of them far-right activists. It'll be interesting to see how their cases progress through the, the system. But, I mean, the, 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 the current bill that she's brought in, which reforms that, is... Is, is really very divisive um, and makes if, I, if one has uh, um, thoughts which they put down in their own diary uh, it would effectively be a, a criminal act. Now, not to share, I'm not talking about people who are publishing it, people who are disseminating uh, hate speech, but if people, somebody was to record their own thoughts and I'm not sure that that's the, the that it's the place of Garda Shikhan or the state generally to police what people think. Yeah, well, I mean, those, those on, the right, on, on the right would want you to believe that it's draconian, that it's a, you know, the beginning of but a police state, or that it's anti-democratic. But it's simply unimplementable. I mean, um, sort of legislating to stop people thinking something is not uh, is not, um, in my view, feasible. I mean, what we should be concentrating on is legislating in, to stop people doing things, to stop people uh, intimidating people in the streets, to stop people uh, um, uh, frightening other people in the streets. I mean, people are afraid to walk in certain streets, at certain in our state, at certain times of the uh, of the day. I mean, that should be the case and I think that should be a bigger priority also I mean as regards on Garda Shukhan I mean what Gardaí and the Beat are telling me is there's been more and more and more even though there are less of them and certainly a lot less of them per head of population um, they're spending more of their time before uh, in front of a computer filling out paperwork and that that's a, an increasing problem not something that's decreasing notwithstanding the so-called civilianisation of the force okay. so all of these pose a problem in my view Alright, it's a very complicated issue we'll watch with interest uh, the motions today, of course it's going to be counter motion so it's, it's probably a fait accompli that, uh, that she will survive anyway, with the time remaining to us Michael if you don't mind, can we move on to planning issues many of which were raised last night by the Orti Investigate uh, programme. Now, while I have to, at the outset, say uh, that there is no proof of anything unlawful uh, having been committed by the two individuals involved, the O'Callaghan's, it, do- it does seem to me that, having watched the programme, uh, the system is gameable and people can take advantage of it for whatever reason. And to use the word that Orti Investigate used a couple of times last night, for mischievous reason. Yeah, it is, but I mean, it was unfortunately most systems are are gameable. I mean, we have a huge problem with uh, uh, fraudulent insurance claims I- in Ireland uh, in terms of road traffic accidents. But not everybody who takes a case is fraudulent. So I mean, it's a matter of being able to weed out the fraudulent ones from the from the real ones. I mean, my understanding, having um, read the report, I didn't, I wasn't in a position to see the program last night, but having read the reports of it, is that they're taking advantage of the backlogs because they put down an objection at Umbor Planola and it'll, <coughs> excuse me, it'll take uh, perhaps a year, perhaps even more, to go through Umbor Planola, and developers who, who will say that, okay, look, there's no real basis for, for the objection that you've put down. I know it won't succeed, but it'll delay my project by two years. So I'm going to, uh, and I have finance in place now. I mightn't have it in the future. I have building teams in place now. I have what I planning permission might expire, etc. So they pay them off to get rid of that delay. But 
the fundamental point is there's a big delay in Umbor Planola, no more than the International Protection Office, which processes asylum claims. Umbor Planola is backlogged. It's not adequately resourced to, to deal. I mean, we have a booming economy. It's not surprising that there would be quite a lot of development in a booming economy. And we don't have the resources in place to make sure that Umbor Planola can do its job quickly. So I, I, I saw that uh, Cork developer, um, um, Michael Flynn, isn't that his name, on, on RT last night, um, saying that we have the most complex uh, uh, planning system in Europe and one of the slowest planning systems in Europe. So again, it comes down to the government putting a very complex system in place and not adequately resourcing it to make sure that people who have to put in an application, people should be able to object, but that that's dealt with quickly. Just okay, here's, here, here's David Hogan, the Cork developer, who was on uh, uh, RTE last night uh, with Katie Hannan. Just listen to this. Um, I'll have to say, it, it wasn't a very pleasant experience to go through. Um, it's not something I would ever in envisage doing, uh, you know, secret cameras, etc. But I felt it, it was justified to shine a light on what is happening as regards this aspect of the construction sector and the development sector. And I, I felt that the public needs to know what some developers are facing, the situations they're being put in, and very, very difficult situations to handle. And I think I thought that the best way to do that was to, to let that the programme show what some people are willing to do for their own personal gain. Now, you refuse to hand over any money. And I did wonder, watching you, watching that programme, was there any point in that process that you might have been tempted to just hand over the money, to, to make it go away? No, I can honestly say no, and I'm not saying that to put myself up on a pedestal because I'm just an ordinary person I have my faults like everybody else but I, it would have been against my principles and it is against my principles because I feel that if I was to pay to make a problem go away that should never have been there in the first place I believe those type of problems will continue and you're just feeding a system That's David Hogan, Cork developer on uh, RTE last night Michael with, uh, on Upfront with Katie Hannan after the programme, if, if, if and when you do get a chance to watch the programme, I think you'll find that David Hogan came across as a man uh, of some integrity who was uh, caught between a rock and a hard place here. He didn't want to become part of the problem by paying, by paying up, uh, and yet disaffected now are many young Cork couples who wanted to purchase in Watergrass Hill. Something has to be done with the, uh, maybe something has to be done with the serial objectors. Yes, undoubtedly, um, uh, and I would also think that, I mean, I say I haven't seen the programme, but that um, at the very least there should be an investigation into what was uncovered and um, an investigation whether it does breach any um, a- any laws or not. Nobody's saying it does, but I think it needs to be investigated given that this seems to be quite prolific and there seems to be lar- uh, a lot of uh, sums of money changing hands um, because of it. Um, uh, but yeah, it is about, but it is fundamentally people seeking to take advantage of the delays in Umbor Planola. And I mean, there shouldn't be delays in Umbor Planola. It shouldn't take It's, it's understaffed, to... and that's what's been taken advantage of. Michael, our time is up. Uh, it's been a refreshing first talk. We hadn't spoken before, but thank you for coming on. And uh, once again, I consider you a straight shooter, and it's been good to get your sort of unbiased opinion as to what's thank happening. E- even your honest admission that you'll be voting against Helen McEntee today. Thanks very much, Michael. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Michael Bye. McNamara, Independent TD for Clare. I think the uh, the real 
uh, problem here is coming to a solution with the planning that will, number one, stop the serial objectors who are doing it for, as already he said, mischievous purposes, but not stopping ordinary people who are genuinely trying to protect their local environments. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And we're going to be getting into the Christmas spirit, uh, mostly between 11 o'clock and 12 on the programme. We're going to have our main competition, of course, Michelle, the jewellers, 60 years in business in Cork, family-run business with bespoke jewellery for any occasion, a 200-euro voucher up for grabs between 11 o'clock and 12. Finton Reardon Christmas trees. Going to give away two very special Christmas trees I'll tell you all about them. We've got our paddy boxes uh, to look at as well. And uh, we'll uh, give away or we'll read out or bring people on air about the uh, paddy boxes as we get into the Christmas spirit. But mostly because of the business of the programme between 11 o'clock and 12. And a very good morning from the Neil Prendeville Show at 10 and a half minutes past 10. Gronia Griffin is the Director of Communications with the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission or the CCPC. We're going to look at average spends uh, this Christmas, Gronia. We were we had an article on yesterday or an item on yesterday uh, where we were comparing the prices paid here with the prices available uh, in the UK. Now, when you compare them online, of course, you don't take into account uh, all of the... Uh currency fluctuations, the currency difference, the logistics, uh, the different VAT rates, etc. So we explored that. That being said, it looks as though the average expected spend is going to be lower this Christmas here. That's right. Um, we've looked at what consumers are saying they're planning on spending this Christmas and it is dropping from last year. It's just over a thousand. A thousand and thirty is what people say they're planning on spending. Um, whereas last year it was um, a couple of hundred euros higher. So it's dropping in terms of the amount people are planning on spending. But we do see that more people are planning on borrowing to actually be able to make that spend, which is a concern. That is, that is a concern. How how do you be so exact? Is, is it is it a, a statistical thing that you survey people and and it comes out with a true reflection? Because that's pretty exact. The average person is going to spend a thousand and thirty euro this Christmas. No, I have to say that's an average. It's very much an average. And the way that we do it is this is a large-scale survey. It's run by Ipsos. Um, and they ask people exactly what do you think you're planning on spending this year. And we've repeated this for several years now. And it is adjusted for demographics and everything like that. So it broadly is is relatively, can be seen as quite accurate. Um, but you do see fluctuations within it. So like there are still like a, like a large volume of people who pay less than 500. There are people then who are in that kind of 500 to a grand kind of space. And then there are still like there's nearly 15% who will pay over 2,000, you know, for whom Christmas is going to be like a really big expense this year. So there's a variation across it. But if you were to average it, it comes out at about 1,000 euros for Christmas, more if you've got children. Yeah, but isn't it about people cutting their cloth, as it were? I mean, if you're on 100 or 250 grand a year, uh, then it's going to be more a Moya Shandon or Cristal Christmas than it's going to be if you're on, uh, you know, the average industrial wage when you're trying to uh, get decent enough present for the kids to give them a good Christmas and, um, you know, put the requisite food on the table and a few beers or a few bottles of wine uh, away for anyone who might call. It's, it's a tale of, uh, of, of two classes, really, isn't it? 
there, there is there is a difference, but it's not as big of a difference as you might think. Like, so if you actually look at the survey and say you break it down into the different, say, two different social classes, there's ABC one class, and then there's what's called the C two D E class, and that's just statistical language for um, people who are better off and people who are less well off. And the difference is, like, there's about 150 euros in the differences in spend, so it's still a large amount of money. So regardless of how much money you have coming in, people still will be paying a lot this Christmas. And um, we are saying to people, like, please do, if you can, take the time now to think about where is that money going to come from? And if you are going to borrow, how can you borrow in such a way that um, you're able to pay it back? It's something that is sustainable and that you're not regretting it when January rolls down, rolls around, um, leaving you with kind of um, bills piling over you. Yeah. Uh, And especially, I suppose, people need to be wary of money lenders. Moneylenders are a really, really expensive way of getting credit. And we would really encourage people to look at all of the options before you go to a high-cost credit lender. Like the credit unions have a variety of products. It's really worth looking at the credit unions. Short, they have a number of short-term loans. And they also do a product called It Makes Sense Loan, which um, is really accessible. So there's a lot of different options available to people. But what we would say is the time to decide um, to take out credit is not when you're about to pay. And, and that's where it's very easy to just slip into handing over a credit card if you haven't already or hitting buy now, pay later and thinking, oh, that's, that's, that's me sorted now, you know, and that's making it easier. Those, those forms of credit can be very expensive and they can be very difficult to manage. So really, we'd strongly encourage people to make that big list round about now of everything they have to buy, how much it's likely to cost. Work out what's the difference between what you have in your savings, what you have coming in, like what's the shortfall? And if there is a shortfall, then think, right, that's how much I'm going to need. Now, what are my options? You know, maybe it's that you take a longer term loan out. Maybe it's if you're going to use the credit card, but only if you can pay it off in full in January. If you do not pay your credit card off in full, it's one of the most expensive forms of borrowing that you can find. So you need to look at all your options. Mm. We spoke yesterday briefly about what would have been called in Cork here. I'm not sure uh, where, where, uh, where, where we speak to you today, but there was a thing called the manage, where um, normally a lady of the community would take five pounds a week or something from uh, a circle of friends and manage that and give it out a couple of weeks before Christmas. Of course, as we mentioned, that's now available electronically through things like Revolut. Um, But that being said, um, do you know if many people are able to save throughout the year for Christmas? Yeah, I mean, the savings numbers do look good and I think that is quite reassuring. So the savings numbers um, are up at around 85% in terms of people who actually have savings and that's good because ideally, like from a financial well-being point of view, where you want to get to is where you have a direct debit put into your savings every week or every month and then you dip into those savings for your maybe your summer holiday, you dip into those savings for Christmas and then they get replenished as the year rolls round, you know? So that's the ideal space that we all kind of aspire to. And it is good to see that there's lots of people who are in that position. Um, there's 75, uh, 73% of people who have um, savings and will be um, be able to use them this Christmas, but there's still a shortfall there where people are borrowing. So last year when we were looking to see if people were borrowing, we were seeing it at around one in four, you know, so it was about one in four who are borrowing. This year it's just, it's getting closer to one in three, it's up around 30%. And so that increase is there. 
And how much peer pressure is? Uh, you know, I remember toy shows year after year. They were they were kind of dumbing down on the on the high end content, not to put too much pressure on parents when we had more straightened times and austerity. Um, but you, your survey also showed that fourteen percent of people expect to spend over two thousand euro. Christmas. I've got a friend who runs a pop-up Christmas shop and he said to me, there's absolutely no shortage of money, Mick. None whatsoever. And that's not going to go down too well with any of our listeners now who are going through more straitened times or who are struggling to put a Christmas around their family. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, is that, look, there are some people out there who have money. There are some people who will plan um, to, to spend a lot this Christmas. But for most people, that isn't the case. You know, for most people, when they're looking at why they might be spending more this Christmas, it's not because they they plan, they have higher incomes and things like that. For most people, it's because things have gotten more expensive. So, like, we do see a cohort of people, like maybe one in four, who are saying my income is actually higher this year than it was last year. There is one in four who say they have more savings. You know, there's one, like, one in five who say they feel like they're, they're going to splurge a bit more this year. So you do see those smaller groups of people who are saying they have more money, they're planning on spending more. But for the vast majority of people, when they're saying they're saving, they're planning on spending more um, this Christmas, they're doing it because they feel that things have gotten more expensive. Okay, and pe- people should shop local and shop uh, in, in family businesses wherever they can, I guess. To look to see where you can get good value and to look around and to be very cautious when you're buying online. You mentioned they're shopping from the UK earlier. You really do need to check to see where businesses are based from. Like you may, even if you may think you get a, a cheaper offer on a, on a British website, you know, have you factored in things like um, tariffs on entry? Yeah, you may have custom charges, charges all now of because those of the, things. You know, yeah. it can be very complicated. So really, we'd strongly encourage people to buy from Irish websites or websites within the European Union. You'll have much stronger consumer rights if something goes wrong. Okay. Thanks, Gronia. Gronia Griffin, Director of Communications with the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission. Good morning to you. Thank you. The Voice of Cork, Neil Prendeville. Weekdays 9 to midday, Cork's Red FM. Good morning, 23 minutes past 10. Now, Cork fans of GAA are going to have to pay to see all but one of their team's Munster Senior Hurling Championship games on GAA Go next season. At the launch in Croke Park, it was confirmed that the county's first three fixtures across April and May will not be televised free to air. They're going to be behind a paywall and fans will have to pay for them on the subscription platform jointly owned by the GAA and RTE. Now, to counterbalance my complete lack of knowledge of all things GAA, we have uh, Kevin Calvin in the studio just uh, so I can give GA fans a fair crack here and uh, engage the mood as it were before we do belated happy birthday oh, thanks very much Mick it's very God, good to say twice your age happy 30th yeah I know yeah you can hear the voice I think people can kind of hear it was a good weekend a good weekend I'd say <laughs> Finbar Bevan is on line one good morning to you Finbar how are you all right good morning you think this is giving two fingers to the Cork people and the Cork GA exactly. fans exactly especially to the likes of me I'm, I'm in my eighth year and I've been attending GA matches as long as my memory remembers. And I remember this well over 70 years. All of us played to matches. I went everywhere a cock played in football in Holland, in all grades. But now they're giving me the two fingers. This and they're looking for nearly 70 quid before Christmas and 70 quid, early 80 quid after Christmas. 69 before Christmas and 80 euros afterwards. Yeah, no, listen, you know, this is, that's, that's one third of my pension. For the love and honor of God, I did, I did, they really have forgotten the pension of the people who kept GA going all through the years there. And they deliberately picked out the cock people because cock people will attend anything. They're being the biggest crowd with them around the country. And this is a tank to the cock people. 
it's a disgrace, utter and utter disgrace to you. But people always had the power to do what they like. They approved of it to what they had. And how how would people power work in in this situation? By Cork fans rallying together and not attending matches, or by on or by on mass not taking up the pay the pay per view. Yeah, take don't take it up, don't take it up. They will have to walk on it. In this is old, old They will have to stop it. This this is madness. When they started first two years ago, they started charging two fifty a million for was in England at the same two fifty a match, and he was take up the cock matches. He was quite happy with that. I remember it's not too long ago, about 20 years ago, where a pensioner could get into any match in, in Cork for one pound, or one, one, was it one euro, one pound, and I sure know. And then they changed that, they brought up for tenner. No, last year, I couldn't get into a match last year because I don't know how to walk those calves to get into a match. So I had to go, my uncle had to go each time with me, it was, I think it was 18 euros for myself, to get in the gate. I couldn't get in the gate for a match because I didn't have one of those calves. There's another thing they've forgotten about. Okay, and, really have forgot. and how are you on all things internet? Do you have... Do you, do you I, have a- I, I fool about a, 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 a computer. That's how I only tip around with it because I went back to school there a couple of years ago. But I wouldn't know all those things, the cards, the, the iPhone and all that. I don't know all those things. So I wouldn't be allowed into a match. Just think of it. After all my years going to matches, I couldn't go to see my local team in the Piercic playing now at the moment because I don't have one of those cards, these pawns. Okay. Um, would you contend the GA don't care about the elderly then? Couldn't care less. That's what they think of now. All they're thinking about is money, money, money. That's all. It's madness. It, I, I, for my opinion, anyway, like, they've made no allowance for elderly people. I should be able to walk down to the park, show that I'm over my age. By, by bringing my cab with me or something like that and be allowed to pay to go in. I don't mind paying to go in, but it's bloody carting. I, you know, I should yeah. go to, I mean, I go to the junior matches, my match, and I go out to all those matches. I love them. I love matches. Parky ring, two matches, cup of coffee, you know, brilliant. I love that. But I can't know unless I have, I have this iPhone. Okay, of course, there's many ways you can spin it. I heard the GAA's Head of Communications on National Radio this morning saying, if you buy the full package, it's only 181 per game, but you may not have interest in, in the other games outside of Cork, would you? Well, I mean, what about Kilkenny and Clare? Or Kilkenny and Wilson and Carlo? I mean, would that be interesting to me and everybody? I put me no interest in that. I mean, I keep my point is, they want one third of my pension to buy something. And that's didn't so much money that he gave at all. It's it's the cock games. I'm only interested in the cock games, right? Look what I'm paying for the for the three games. Yeah, that's outrageously. Okay, and that's because if 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 you're paying just to watch the three games, it's going to cost you exponentially more than if you're enjoying all of the it's other. It's going to cost me. It's going to cost me about it was nearly twenty five a game. And is is that because Cork is seen as the most passionate hurling county in the country? Exactly. You look at all the crowds, the biggest crowds last year in any match where Cork were playing and Cork had the biggest crowd. Cork are passionate sporting people, always were and always will be. You are, look at the records of, of soccer and basketball and God knows what, GEA, you name it, the Cork people will follow it. Okay, Paddy O'Brien joins us, uh, a huge advocate for the elderly. Good morning, Paddy. Stay with me, please, Finbar. 
I would agree fully with the sentiments expressed then on by um, by some. I, I, I had the news last night. They said this is an appalling situation because principally, who's going to be affected here or are the people? I mean, the, the, the greatest supporters that you have had all their lives is when the elderly people are, are the elderly people, and the elderly who are el- older now, they're the people who supported the GA. They're the people who helped to bring the GA grounds from them, and now they are being penalised. I spoke out recently about this issue, and I was saying, are they giving it any thought whatsoever? when they were making these crazy decisions. Cork would be very badly affected by the, 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 the streaming. And I intend today to write to the Minister for Sport because he should interfere. He shouldn't interfere because um, so many people are being affected. And again, I repeat myself, when I say I, I congratulate Finbar for being so outspoken because I know I know Finbar, a, a great GM man altogether. And I think that they should, they should revisit the situation because there are people there that the only outlet, the only social outlet they had during the summer was the GA Games. And as a heart of that, people look forward to the weekends regardless who was playing, regardless who was playing. It wasn't just Cork principally. I, I was at a match recently, a game down in Parky Creef, a club game. It was um, um, Blarney and Town. And what I observed was the amount of elderly people were there, including myself, of course, the amount of elderly people. And I said, they are the people who are supporting the GA all of their lives and that GA is trying to now now and do this. I think it's just deplorable. Okay, I'm going to need some education here, but GAA chiefs are saying that it's because of a very compressed schedule, uh, that there are too many matches happening in too short an order, time-wise, and that without GAA go, these matches would not be shown at all. Zero. Well, what, what I would say, I, I, I'm really not into the final details of uh, how, how they decide, but I know that I know that um, the last two, about two or three years, I think two or three years, the finals now has been played on on a Sunday, whereas in past years it was the first Sunday of the month in September for the hurling, and the last Sunday or the second last Sunday for for the football. They have more time, and if they, if that's the only excuse they have, I mean they, they, they're responsible for this themselves they're crushing all the games in I've heard excuse <coughs> me I heard stand followers of the Jays speaking about that people are trying to train with the senior trains they're trying to train with their club they're trying to um, do, do everything in a short space of time obviously and that's, 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 that, that is the problem and I think what they should revert to the old system play the final of the hurling in September, the first under September, and then the football at the end of the month. Okay. Uh, Kevin Galvin is here, and he has some experience with uh, GEA. Can I ask you a question? It, it may seem a little flippant, but I have to. Why is this season so compressed? Are they making way for Bruce Springsteen and Taylor <laughs> Swift? No. Um, although, actually, I read today that Leon, the French football club, could be in a relegation battle and could potentially have their home game switched because of a Taylor Swift concert. Yeah. So it's not exclusively a Cork phenomenon, losing home games due to big uh, music concerts. No, the reason why they, I suppose, shortened the schedule is because they felt the players were getting burnt out. They thought the players were trying to, they were trying to balance playing club and county at the same time. There were issues with 
with you know counties not releasing their players back to the club team so clubs were trying to play championship matches but they didn't have their best players because they were representing their county um, and so they tried to kind of I suppose separate the club and inter-county thing and to also give the players a bit of a break so they, they, they stopped the, they've moved the inter-county finals now to the end of August that finishes then there's a bit of a break then you go into the club season it's like for some club teams I mean for the, particularly the best ones like Ballygunner are still playing like those those yeah. Ballygunner players some of those Waterford players they've essentially been playing non-stop for three years because <laughs> they've gone out of their inter-county season they've gone straight to playing with club you have club championship then you have Munster then you have All-Irelands by the time All-Irelands finish you're in March you're kicking back off in April you know the pre-season for inter-county starts in February so like it's just this kind of constant round the clock and like it's not just inter-county players like as you say it's minor players it's kind of like you hear even young fellas playing GA they just never stop like the season never seems to stop like I come from a soccer background so for me not having an, a defined off-season is a bit strange mm. Yeah, you, you you posted recently in our in our production group uh, a list of requirements for those wishing to represent. That's right. <laughs> their their county or whatever in in, in GA. I, I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo would be would be um, no. adhering to such. No, strict sure. I mean, you look at the you look at the Irish rugby players having a pint of or a pint. Oh my God, no, not a pint. That's more Sam Allardyce. Um, a, a glass of Pinot Grigio um, after uh, their, their one of the games in the World Cup. And like that, these these guys are, are massive elite sportsmen. I mean, th- there are two issues. There's the scheduling, and then there's also the issue about RT and GA teaming up to create a streaming service. Both organizations, which they claim only cover their costs last year, and also bo- both organizations. Possible get public funding as well don't forget that Mick like the GA get massive public funding as do RTE so why the need they talk about the commercial uh, you know opportunities and the need to be commercialised you know the, the, they need to put the big games on but like they're both they're both receiving public money so why do they why this clamour for commercialisation Okay, Finbar, should, shouldn't somebody your age be given the same consideration to physically attend games at, at a re- very much reduced rate rather than be competing for tickets that are not available and forced to watch it on TV and forced to pay for it. <sighs> Finbar, he's still... He's gone? Okay, uh, let's go to uh, line three then, uh, because we have some calls on the topic. Uh, you're still with us, Paddy O'Brien, are you? I am indeed. Uh, okay, Finbar Maguire is the minor manager and coaching officer. Uh, you held these positions last year, of course, at SARS GAA in Glanmire. What's your position, Finbar? I'm sorry, Finbar O'Brien, not McGuire. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, Finbar O'Brien, I beg no, your pardon. I, I just, just, one, just one thing there I just want to, to uh, bring highlight, right? Our, our, our latest representative there, Teddy Mack, has to do, as a, as, a, um, a mark, as a mark of respect, we have a match down, two matches down in, in Park Reeve on Saturday, right? That's right. And the, the late old Teddy that I knew well, right? I know him very well. The late old Teddy would always say, like, he was a dual player. Right, so he he played both codes. He played football and hurling. <laughs> right, and Teddy often said to me, he said, Tim Barry said, if a player, if a young player, like we've under 21 championships still going on in the club, they're still playing. They only play during the week, they're playing again. There's under 21 championship A and 21 <laughs> championship C. They're still playing, right? So I know they don't, the previous caller said they don't get a break, right? But if you speak to the young players today, they don't want to break, they want to keep going. Really? They want to play. And the late Teddy would always say, like he played hurling and football, right, both codes. He would always say, if a young fellow's good enough and he wants to play, they can play away. The young, there's some, some, some of the older players today at, at inter-county level they say, it, like, it's too much, I can't do this, I can't do it. But if a player really wants it, it's just my opinion, 
if they really want to play both codes, I'd say, I'll tell you what I'll say, I'll have to go and play both codes. Okay. That was always his opinion, do you know? It, and just one more point there, Paddy was on about there a while ago. The elderly people, right, they're showing a complete lack of respect. The core GA people are actually the elderly people. They put, they put, they put, they, they put GA and Cork on the map. They're the people that, like, we we should look up to and represent like the, the Dennis Kellehers, the Dennis Hurleys of, of Sarsfield, people like that, the Narbrogs of Black Rock, Tom Cashman's, all these great people, even the late Teddy, they make Cork hurling what it is today. Tomas McKay, people like that, and we we have we have we have an onus on us in the GA to really represent elderly people, right? They should be, and I know they're talking about it at the moment, right? Not everything has to be online. I do it online. I go to the match on Saturday. It's online. I have to book my ticket online. But not everything. Not like people in their 70s and 80s. The core GA people out the country, North Cork, East Cork, West Cork, they want to travel to that game and then they say, do you know what? I just get a ticket. I don't know how to do this online. Should, should they not be able to buy tickets for cash in their local club and bring that ticket to the turnstile? That's exactly the point I'm coming to. They should be able to drive to the match, walk to the ground, go to the turnstile, say hello, go into the game and say whatever it is, 10, 15, 20 euros, go in and sit down and watch the game that they love so much. Or, or, or go to their local club in advance and buy a ticket. Correct, correct. We we have a system below in Sarsfields, especially in the summertime, like it's online and then the lads at the gate say, look, they scan your phone and then you scan back and so yeah. forth and that you, that's your entrance into the pitch. Is there no cash at turnstiles anymore? I, I don't think, I don't think, in the big, in the big stadiums like Park Weave and Crow Park and Park Ring, I don't think they have reintroduced it just yet. Like, I am open to correction. But I think they should always be, and it should, I've never changed, they should always be um, a, a, a respect for the elderly person going to the turnstile and can I please pay cash rather than online. And I, I've heard it going through the turnstiles. I've heard elderly people in front of myself and my son say, Jesus, I don't know how to use online. Is there any chance I can pay cash? <clears> and I've seen this. I've seen elderly people being turned away, especially in Parker Ring. I've seen the club matches, inter-county matches, league matches in February March where they've been turned away to turn cell and, this, and the man behind the turn cell says, I'm so sorry, there's nothing I can do for you. Yeah. <coughs> Paddy, do you, you want to come in here? Twi- yeah, that that, that, that is an issue. I was wondering, you know, that was an issue that I was going up this morning because about four months ago, I spoke out, I spoke to Neil about and I wrote an, an article today at home. And again, what I was saying was uh, that the greatest supporters from many, 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 many years are the Absolutely. people who are now. And I said, it's appalling, it's disgraceful that people are being denied any social outlet. And what the reply, I did the article with a journalist, uh, Amy Nolan, and when she contacted Dublin, they said, look, um, I, I said, surely I said, as whatever part of the country, it shouldn't be totally cashless. At least have one entrance that people could pay Absolutely. cash. And in Absolutely. Dublin, they said they would consider that, but that was the end of the story. It's appalling. No, it's disgraceful. And I had I, I, the names that um, Sam just spoke about there now, Janice, Bennis, Hurley, and all those people very well. And they're, the, they're people that age group are the people who are going to be affected. But the streaming is on television. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, can I just leave you on this note? Yep. Just on this note, right? I take a drink. I was a car curler in my day, right? Back in my, as minor level, back in the 90s, right? But mm-hmm. I take a drink from time to time with some of the senior players from the 1990 team, right? Whose fathers are still alive. <coughs> they, do, they do not, the senior hurlers themselves and their fathers do not go to the games anymore. They just do not. They just, they just, it's, not, it's not from the lack of loving hurling, even though they played the game. It's just that their fathers, if they're, if, they're, if they're not around and their fathers want to go to the game, 
they say, Jesus, Dad, you just know, just you can't use the turnstile anymore. It's it's it's, not, it's there's no cash, there's no cash yeah. turnstile. Yeah. It's all online. I'm away. I'm sorry, I'm not available. But my father still can't go to the game. You might be able to get a lift from a neighbour, a friend, someone down the J Club that will bring them. But they can't go to the game because they cannot do online. Yeah, but it's, so it's look, the older the people, people, the older fans the older that, people, yeah, that, that, that have passed on the passion for the game to, to the middle generation, now passing it on to the younger generation. We, we, we They are passing it on, and, and there's many stories I can tell you about hurling. I was a black rock hurler my, all my life before I moved to Saris. But my point is, the elderly people, and, and Finbar and, and, and so forth have mentioned it, and we were, I'm saying it again, they deserve an awful lot better than this. An awful lot better than this. Okay, the, the people that made us up here. The, the, there are two separate issues here. Whether or not there's a there's a conscious bias uh, to exploit the passion of Cork fans monetarily, or and sorry, not or and uh, the issue of treatment of older people who may not be uh, adequately enabled um, Wi-Fi wise and internet savvy wise. Yes. Uh, yes. And their yeah. ability to maybe even you know the Access, debit and credit cards yeah. Uh, yeah. are yeah. a mystery to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I'm, I'm all for progress. I'm all for for, for modernising things. But we have to like make my. I don't I'm repeat myself. We have to respect the elderly people. All right. Do you know what I mean? I, I can think of two people straight away now. Car hurlers back in the nineties. Their fathers no longer go to the game. They're from the north side. They no longer go. <coughs> And if, just, if their son, who was a car caller back in 1990, if they, can, if they can bring them and they're local and they can bring their father to the game, that's grand. He'll pay for his father online. He'll get him his tickets. And he's happy. And, but, like, the point is, and I, it's only, it only happens, I, I, it only happens only so recently, one of the car games towards the end of the season. He couldn't go to the game. His son, his son was away in Anders. And the father was stuck at home and it wasn't even on TV. He said, okay. you know, the man was itching to go to the game. And, and, and the man in yeah. the 80s, actually, itching to go to the game and he couldn't go. Okay, uh, thanks, Finbar, minor manager, okay. coaching officer last right. year. Well, and it's okay. Finbar O'Brien, to correct my uh, previous mistake, That's okay. in Sars and Glenmire. And Paddy O'Brien as well. It's an O'Brien Fest Thank you very much, mate. this morning. Thanks, thanks a million. Okay. Let's go to Mike Crowley, who's uh, holding on line one. Hiya, Mike. Uh, good morning, Mike. You don't agree with it? No, 100% agree. Everything that's been said there this morning, totally concur with it. Now, like, hurling at the moment is in trouble anyway. It's not the game that it was. It's not half as good a spectacle as we would have seen back in the 70s, 80s and 90s, maybe when Cork were at that peak those years. But, like, the GR are totally responsible here. Um, like, there's a problem. The biggest problem here is the fixture, the programme. That is clogged. They have it. What we have now is an 11-week inter-county championship, right, which is absolutely nuts. Um, the players don't get a chance to recover in time and it's all just a cramped season and it's just not attractive. Playing all islands in July is absolutely nuts as well, I think, to be honest. So there's a number of issues here and I think the fixture programme has created a problem where they can't cover all the games in a short space of time. Um, so, I mean, I think they should review and go back to the, the fixture programme again. The format, the championship format is totally wrong. Now, there's no quick fix to the overall championship when you look at the clubs, the club players and the, champ- the inter-county players. There is no quick fix here. But the present format they have is not right. It's totally too cramped. A microwave championship is being described as. <laughs> how, how was the, and who made the decision? How was this decision arrived at to take three of the four pertinent court games yeah. behind a paywall? Well, it's the GA trying to be smart here because they know Cork has the biggest fan base when it comes to hurling support. 
and they're just capitalising on it. That's what they're trying to do. In, in, greed. In, it's total greed. greed. In, in, that, in that sense, they could do a draw, pull, pull the ball out, out of the thing and say, look. Yeah. Uh, and then at yeah. least people would say, OK, we were unlucky. We're, we're going to have two of our four games we're going to have to pay for. Uh, but you yeah. certainly, uh, you, on, on the law of chance, you, you wouldn't have yeah. three of the four. And, and the way it's planned out now is the last game they're going to cover on, say, National Network, which means cock. You just don't know they could be out of the championship by the fourth game, so there'll be no interest anyway. Yeah. You know, depending how Cork do in the other three games, because you will lose your first three games, your championship is over. Yeah, so it, it, two games. It could come so back and bite them. Yeah, absolutely, it's, it's all wrong. It's completely nuts. The whole thing. Okay, we'll but follow it with we'll follow it with interest, especially the uh, the position in relation to to the older people and. Uh, uh, and them no. getting the adequate um, attention they deserve in the first place. But no. abil- ability to book and, and, and attend a game in the second place. Everybody should email in, the, and they can email in to info at crowpark.ie. And it's time, we're rebels anyway, so it's time to stand up and boycott this thing. This GA goal needs to be taken out completely. Okay. I'm totally in- against this. Absolutely. Info at crowpark.ie. Yes. Thanks, Mike. This morning. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. And thanks. Yeah. Cheers. Now, another mention for our big competition this week, Michelle the Jewellers. Over 60 years in business in Cork, and it's a family-run business, always has been, and they offer bespoke jewellery uh, at the highest end for any occasion. MichelleJewellers.ie will give you the details, and uh, I've always loved their slogan, the quality is right, the service is right, they have the expertise, and they're there for you. You'll be listening for this between 11 and 12. It's just a little piece of diamond. Diamonds are forever by Shirley Bassey. Diamonds are forever. So between 11 and 12, I'll play that at any time. Listen out carefully. And then we'll take two callers to go head to head, picking a random card from a deck of diamonds. And I'll give you the, uh, the rules closer to the uh, competition. The listener who draws the highest diamond, of course, will win and will win a 200 euro voucher for Michelle the Jewellers. Also between 11 and uh, 12, uh, Finton Reardon's tree farm is the most environmentally friendly in Cork and has the stats to prove it. Sustainable and organic approaches to Christmas trees. And we have two of these very, very special Christmas trees and you can pick your own size to give away also between 11 and 12. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 86 8104 Red FM. 10 to 11, by the way, if you want to win one of those uh, Finton Reardon Christmas trees, listen out for a Christmas song. We'll play between 11 o'clock and 12. So it's Diamonds Are Forever, our cue to call for Michelle the Jewellers. And if you want to win the Christmas tree, uh, you can, with Finton Reardon, listen out for a Christmas song. I'm going to play my favourite Christmas song. OK, the favourite accepted. My favourite, of course, would be Fairy Tale of New York. But I'm going to play outside of the favourite. I'm going to play uh, what I think is the sweetest and nicest Christmas song. Let's go back to our lines. And Tim is on line three. Hi, Tim. Hello, Mick. Hi, Tim. You reckon the Cork County Board are to blame here? Uh, well, they're not completely blameless. They started all this uh, when they got involved with the examiner and started streaming local matches and uh, everything that uh, GA Go that are being accused of now is what the county board did themselves and excluded the likes of me and everybody else from the games on uh, television. And this, as far as I'm concerned, is uh, RTE coming back at the Cork County Board who banned T.G. Carr from doing Cork County Board matches all last year, or this year. 
I, I didn't know that, but I was, I, was, I was going to ask the we question. Could watch, we could watch Kerry and Galway and Kilkenny and every other county playing their club matches, but we couldn't watch our own because we had to pay the county board with the people that they were involved in to, to watch it. Okay, so, um, so... They're not completely blameless in all this. So RT reckon are getting their own back by not allowing TG4 to cover the games. That's my reading of it anyway. But what, why don't RT and TG4 um, sp- split the games and, and, and share them? Is that too simplistic of you? Uh, sure, yeah, make, I mean, we're talking money. It's all about money, isn't it? Would seem to be. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you, I'm trying to be the devil's advocate here and take the GA side as well, and, and they're contending that only for GA go, these matches wouldn't be on on TV or available on any screen anywhere. Yeah, but is the 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 GAA who make the fixtures, mm-hmm. and uh, the fixtures are made, and and the television program is arranged accordingly. Uh huh. Uh, RT don't fix matches on a Sunday afternoon. GA fix the matches, and if they're in in cahoots as they seem to be with with RT, surely they at some stage sat down and decided let's have the popular matches. But of course they don't want the popular matches because the cop fans will turn up and and go to the popular matches. But the county board started all this. And, and they're still cashless over in Parky Rin and the likes of it, keeping the likes of me out of it. Okay, now I'm not, I'm not sure of the politics between RTE and TG4, but uh, the GA are... Nor am I. The GA are trying to say they need to maximise their assets. That means putting it on a paid streaming service instead of another free-to-air channel. RTE News Now channel was suggested as somewhere where they, they could put the games on. That wouldn't be a conflict for RTE. Or maybe yeah, it's a staffing uh, issue for the cameraman. I don't know. I, I have no idea about staffing or anything like that. When Sky took it on, as they did, and did a great job on it, they were able to show it to us. And Sky didn't charge us anything extra to watch GA matches. Uh, yes, they did. No, no, they didn't. You had, you had to buy. We, uh, we, 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 we got Sky part. We, we got GA matches on Sky as, as part of your of Sky Sports sport. subscription. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, how, how many people in in Cork want to watch Lamford and Leitrim playing? With due respects to those, and 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 again, the GA are excluding the weaker counties out of the national league. They want right. five counties to stay All right, Tim. Know, I mean. Uh, uh, Thanks for your contribution, Tim. I'd need to squeeze in one more caller before news at 11. Jim is in you all. Good morning, Jim. You've been a ref in East Cork for the past 30 years. I have. And, and um, so this, is one, this is all about money, Mick. This is not, nothing but money. Like, um, like I, 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 I referee uh, championship matches around East Cork here. And uh, like one of your callers, I think... Finbar said that he can't go into a match unless he, he gets his phone scanned and blah, blah, and all this. Why is he kicking online? And, like, they, you ask any divisional board, to get a chairman of a divisional board, there's no one going to the matches. Like, my own my own board down here, Amy Kelly, I, I have no doubt that their, their, their money take, takings are, are way down since since all this came in. And that, that's because you don't see the man at 75 years of age no more in the bank. You don't see him. You see, you see, young kids running around who got in for nothing. You you might see one or two parents, but that, that that's it. Like you, 
you know. And it, it, it's 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 all about money. And and you see, RT are on the, are on the high and often miss. Like the TV license is non-existent. People are not paying it. You can't you can't jail hundreds of thousands of people. People are not paying it. So RT are in collusion with the GA, right? So there's money. There'll be that's another uh, income for, for for both. Yeah, it's a, rev- a revenue stream. But uh, have you noticed a change in attendance since match tickets went online? Oh, big time, big big time. Like the people that I used to meet four or five years when I was doing matches coming off the pitch, and the little me, man, I don't see them no more. They're not there, and and it's happening, boy. I I, I you know genuine. They, these are fellas that line pitches. They cut the grass. They for clubs that were struggling. Struggling, and they put their life into the GA. You had the sales uh, uh, minor manager on there. He spoke from the heart, and I'm speaking from the heart. The GA are killing themselves so sorely. Like the, you had the Rugby World Cup on there for, for was it six or seven weeks? Everyone was watching the Rugby. Like we didn't have to pay for no game. Mm-hmm. Everyone watching it. Like I know it's worldwide and all that, but like the the GA, uh, uh, especially the Cork County Board, they want to stand up and wa- watch what's happening around them. Yeah, me- me- meanwhile, the government are doing some little bit to help those who are struggling over the winter with their fuel allowances, etc. But here you have two huge organisations who enjoy a lot of government subvention, RTE and the GAA, charging the most vulnerable people, the elderly, who watch these games. That, that, that's money that the elderly thought they'd have in their pocket. Oh, I can go down to the park. No, and I, I can show me pass. And, uh, uh, and I, I get in, hand the tenor in all the, the turnstile. That's gone. That's, 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 that, 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 they want those. And, and they... they, they the, the, the government are giving GA big money. You know that yourself. They're big money. And th- there's no weekend that's gone by that the, the, the GA are not looking for this, that, and the other thing of, of the ordinary people. Clubs are fundraising because they're in trouble. And rightly so, they fundraise. But there's the own people are supporting the clubs. All right, Jim, i got to leave it there. It's all heartfelt and we've lots of calls and texts. But we'll leave it there for now and head for news at 11. Thanks, Jim. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And a very good morning. Morning from the Neil Prendeville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Neil Prendeville returns next Monday morning. It's nine minutes past eleven, and Pat joins me on line two. Good morning, Pat. Morning, Mick, and to your listeners. And now you watched the uh, last night's program, RTE Investigates, as I did. You were shocked by it. I was. Yeah, I was amazed that uh, this was allowed to go on there. Um, now, I when I looking at the program, I was asking myself a number of questions, and I was basically one thing came out in the program, and this was uh, not a surprise to me. Is one of the developers stated that whatever I have to pay, that this will be passed on to the people buying the houses. So, in other words, they weren't going to be at a loss of uh, this problem that was in our planning system. Now, another thing came up on the program is there is rules there on, in, already in place that if the planning authority feel there's something like that going on, that they have the powers to deal with it. Now, the question and the one thing I was asking there with all this is, I know from uh, stuff that went on in planning over the years that there's not a very good relationship between planning authorities and developers. And I suppose one uh, uh, evidence of that is the way the prices of houses have gone up. Um, the developers basically have a free run and the stuff going on over the years. So that relationship with the planning authorities and the developers is not as good as it should yeah, be. If that so, relationship is strained, Pat, sh- sh- shouldn't some work be done on repairing it? 
on, on, you know, now, the reason, yeah, what I was getting at is if there's a relationship that's strained and basically planning authorities are looking at this greed and developers basically having a free run, they're basically saying to themselves, and this is, I'm not saying this is the case, but they're saying there's rules there, but look, this fella's not going to lose it anyway, so we're not going to lose any sleep over this. And I know there's rules there, but we're not going to bother enforcing them. So, um, I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that there is laws there and this is a to go on and like what was plain to see and like seemingly this was not um, illegal what was going on like the guys that were looking for the money uh, this wasn't an illegal thing this was a flaw in our planning uh, and this was something that wasn't being addressed by our planning authorities and things and this was allowed to go on but the end result and what alarms me um, is that price houses are going up and they're going up and up and up and there seems to be no end to it and like we need um, to get a grip on this and like even Sinn Féin when they say they get in they're going to have a price cap we all know house prices are actually gone too high so I would prefer even Sinn Féin to say when we get in we're going to bring price houses down to a re- realistic price like the the average price from what I hear now is up in the three and a half at uh, the 400,000 for anybody that's in a, a low paid job and this is another uh, flaw that the government has done over the years is they haven't allowed people to earn what in line with what houses are costing. So like a realistic price is around two, two and a half. And from what I gather now talking to builders, I think they can put up a house for about 180, I think. So there's massive profits being made there. Uh, so we need to address this and we need to get a government in place at the next election that's actually going to make houses affordable. What Sinn Féin's affordable thing or what they're talking about is way off the thing and this price cap the price cap at a high price this is not what people need to hear so when we decide now we want a new government and we want things to change and we want to bring about a a, a society that we can live in and and cherish it we need to have a realistic look at all this because when when I work in the 80s I was able to buy a small house in the town on a modest wage and I was able to rear my family and that's the way wages have gone so like this government has failed people and the politics we have seen over the years has failed people because it hasn't wages haven't went in line with they say the cost of houses and the cost of living and everything we're looking at minimum wages and we're looking at people that will never be able to buy their house like my situation there my oldest daughter she's renting a house herself and her partner are working they haven't one penny at the end of the week so this coming up with 20% is totally off the cards for them they will never own their own house they'll work hard all their life they'll be exhausted at the end of the week and this is the basically the nuts and bolts of the politics that we have in this country we should be rewarding the people that are working and they, anybody going out to work every day are working very very hard and they should be in the situation that I was in in the 80s they should have a wage especially when two of them are working and there's two wages coming in they should have a wage that they can get on this property ladder and from she's not even entitled to be on a housing list because her earnings are over and with her earnings being above that she still has nothing at the end of the week That's, so that, that, that was the same with Beata yesterday is that what you're talking about or someone you know particularly um, no, it's my own daughter. Oh, your own daughter, okay. It was evident last night, and I, and I was almost shouting at the telly, go on, ask for money, go on, ask for money. 
They, they were very cleverly not, not asking for money. They were just uh, looking for proposals. So no law was broken, but I think advantage was seemingly taken of inadequacies in the planning system, not least the staffing levels of onboard Panola. Well, on board Panola are another thing, like, and as I said, um, there is problems with our, in our planning, and this has been obvious over the years. And, like, we need to address this. If there's rules in place, unfortunately, it's like a lot of things. There's a lot of rules in place, but they're not being enforced. And, like, in fairness to the local authority, they have a tough job in trying to come up with housing and different things, and, and they have a lot on their plate. And I know the developers have little or no respect for some of the people in the authority, they're there to be manipulated and this is what they want and all we want and you saw from the GA you were talking about earlier, we're looking at a greedy society and the GA even in regards houses they forget the people that have brought them there and I believe even getting to the GA thing, I believe the GA are going in the same direction as the church is going and you can see the way the church has gone so like we need to get away from this greedy society, like like years ago when I was married there in the mid 80s um, I could if I had my own site I could have a three bedroom bungalow put on my own site for 15,000 it was a a, a building firm in Cork I don't know were they in Middleton or were they in Fermoy but if I had the site they would come and put a three bedroom a a modular home or a log cabin is it? no no um, solid blocks a solid house 15,000 so I said to somebody how did we get from uh, a £15,000 house being built on my side to the price that they're charging now. So we there's massive greed and we're, we're gone to a greedy society and this is coming up right across the board. But we need, as I said, at the next government, we need to hear a government that's actually going to address these things and going to uh, listen to the people. And for my daughter and for all the others, they're going to say to them, when you're going out to work every day, we're going to reward you, you're going to have the security of your home or whatever and your family. Like if my daughter's renting at the moment, if her house as is happening in, in cases, if that was sold in the barn, she has nowhere to go and there's no emergency accommodation, no nothing. Okay, did, did you mention um, to our production team that this happened in um, in forestry as well? Now in forestry, seemingly from what I gather, and I have a friend working in forestry, if there's um, timber, say, being cut down in, in McCroom, somebody from Roscommon can put in a, an objection to that and they wouldn't even know where McCroom is. And then seemingly this is like the uh, planning thing we saw last night. This is um, affecting it. And from what I gather, even in, a, in, in the timber business, I think the... Uh, uh, the people that are involved with uh, regulating our forests, I think they'll process one application in a whole week. So there's people were often on radio stations that have thousands of pounds worth of equipment in forestry and they cannot use it. They have to leave people off. So we have problems right across the board in all this stuff and basically on the ground it's not happening. All right. It's not happening for anybody. Pat, I need to move on to Brendan O'Sullivan. Thank you, Pat. Brendan O'Sullivan is Head of Planning uh, the planning school at UCC and joins us on line three. Hi, Brendan. Thanks for holding. No problem. Did you see the program last night? Um, 
I didn't see the program, but I've read the uh, transcripts and the and yeah. what the arguments were. Yeah. Okay, so it kind of does put the cat among the pigeons a bit. I don't know how this is going to be fixed. It's evident that on board Pranala are understaffed, are painfully slow in coming back with answering appeals. It's also evident to me that uh, on board Pranala and the planning system is open to exploitation by these appeals uh, and by serial appealers who may have. Uh, you know, not the noblest of intentions regarding the submission. Yeah, well, I, I must say I share what Pat said just now about how last night's revelations were shocking, but but not a surprise particularly. Um, for me, the problem here is how we respond to it, um, because my worry is that examples of bad behaviour such as this um, don't undermine the public's confidence in planning as a thing that goes on in Ireland. Um, like we've seen examples of this over the years and it, and it really hasn't helped that, you know, there were, we probably remember things like the Mahan and flood tribunals uh, back in the day when, when politics came into disrepute, when it affected planning and so on. Um, so my worry is that we don't have a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, Yes, we can see if, if the laws can be tightened a bit to prevent bad behaviour, but ultimately it seems that this is on uh, this is bad behaviour some, by some individuals. Um, whether it's breaking the law or not, it's probably not being proven. If there's a fraud that has been committed, you know, the, the problem with this, the planning systems or any public system, the welfare system or anything like that, is that there are going to be loopholes in, in various ways. And if the, if the focus is on closing off the loopholes or, um, or modifying the system, then we could also get rid of the really good bits of the system, which have been working well over the years. You know, So um, we've often heard examples of appeals to onboard Panola being withdrawn. Um, and some people would jump to the conclusion that somebody's been bought off or something like that. Have you heard that kind of argument? Um, but, you know, for somebody to take an appeal, it's quite a risky thing, especially if you're an individual or a small community group, whatever it might be. Um, well, if you, if it, if you, you lodge know, an appeal on environmental grounds, aren't you almost perfectly insulated from any counteraction or whatever? Oh, sure, I was only worried about the squirrel. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, again, I've, I've heard it characterised in this way, but um, the grounds on which you could appeal a planning permission of any kind, or even appealing a planning refusal, because don't forget, the, the developers can appeal a refusal as well. Uh, the grounds can be many and varied, um, and the ones that hit the headlines are, you know, the toad or the, or the freshwater mussel, which prevents housing going ahead. But there are some very complicated difficult issues that are raised environmental, social, economic and whatever and they do, they do need to be thrashed out at a proper level if it's at a board panola, if it's at a judicial review or if it's at the local planning authority level so um, my, my worry is that as I say that in the effort to close off um, these spurious arguments, that the really important arguments aren't going to be heard if that makes sense um, so um, environmental grounds um, is only one portion. Like if, if, for example, if there's a proposal to develop a large housing scheme, a big retail project, whatever it is, on the edge of a town or a city, um, the, with the promise of jobs and all the other kind of things that go with it, if it's in a poor location and if it's likely to have a direct impact on the 
vitality of the town centre, and we're all worried about our town centres at the moment, um, then it's a legitimate argument to raise those concerns at at onboard or whatever appropriate level. So the the the, the squirrel or the little <laughs> little piece of ecology, while it's important and it's regulated at European level, it's quite often not the, the clinching argument. It's, it's, planning is a very tricky balancing act as it is. And when these, this balancing act is trying to be carried out in the interest of the common good, um, then these stories like we heard last night, are um, they're really making it more complicated again because it, it undermines confidence. And I, I really worry that, you know, those individuals, neighbours, community groups, business groups even, or, or developers, they need to have the confidence that they can take part in the process in good faith. They can make their arguments. Their arguments are heard, and then they either do well or they don't do quite so well in the final decision. But the, and, the biggest detracting that, factor yeah. for a developer is to have his project or her project tied up for a year or more because Board Panala yeah. can't address the appeal in a more timely fashion. No, absolutely. So there's definitely a resourcing issue at the board, and we know with the legislation going through the um, Oireachtas at the moment is going to reconfigure the board in many different ways. They're going to re-establish it in a different setting. But yeah, resources are absolutely critical. Um, the other side of it is, though, having looked at developers over the years and how they how responsible most of them are and, and becoming more aware of environmental issues than perhaps in the past, um, all of the good developers factor in um, the possibility of an appeal. So when they're working out their costs and their excessive costs, you know, it's not unheard of that a developer will have to pay hundreds of thousands just in fees alone, not to mind buying the land and getting loans from the banks and the risk they have to take. But they always factor in the possibility of an appeal. And it, it would be very unwise of a developer to say, I'm going to get my planning permission after eight weeks. Um, there's always a likelihood of an appeal, whether the appeal is based on some spurious issues or whether they're genuine arguments that need to be heard. Mm-hmm. My concern, again, would be Look, a planning permission that's issued quickly may please a lot of people because the chances are that maybe the house will be built quickly and address the housing concerns. But to me, a quick decision, um, a quick permission is possibly a worrying one because if the quick decision is a poor one, then it'll be the impacts will be felt for generations. Now, we've seen examples of developments being in the wrong places, causing crazy commuting issues and so on in the future. Um, these can be anticipated now. So I'd be much happier with a slower, more mm. methodical process where everybody's point of view is heard um, than a quick fast-track decision. And the government has tried to fast-track things and it didn't quite work the way they wanted it to. Two American phrases, Brendan, come to mind. Uh, clear and present danger and uh, threat to national security. I'm not sure if we have any Irish equivalent phrases for this. Uh, but it seems to me that, in, you know, you say we have a robust planning system, yet we have a massive crisis in accommodation availability. Yes, yeah, so, so, Something has to morph in the middle so that, you know, the robust yeah. expertise can be applied quickly. And I'm not saying yeah. fast-track things, but put put your obviously available expertise in focus yeah. to get things no, absolutely. through. Absolutely. So, I mean, what we do here in UCC is we train uh, experts in planning, so the next generation of planners and the people who will rely on their expertise and, you know, developers, sorry, politicians and others who are decision makers in many cases, the people who own land, that they're advised by the best people they can be. And yes, they have to be made more more efficient, um, 
there has to be evidence based for what's being decided um, and that um, things are deliberative. Like, because, like our third party appeal system is the envy of many other countries. Um, and if we were to silence or at least cut back on the opportunity for neighbours and others to make their points of view known, um, then the, the final decision won't have the authority that it should do. Like it's a, it's a, it's a tricky balancing act, as I say, because the, 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 um, the ability to regulate all of these things, to make your forward plans for your city or your town, and the ability to say yes or no to a project is a public sector activity. But the public sector can't deliver. They depend on the private sector who have a, a certain profit motive. So it's a clash of cultures to some extent. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, as it were, as it were um, by saying, look, we need to change the rules to prevent this kind of thing. If that results in neighbours and community groups and business groups not being able to voice their concerns, that would be a real worry. Yeah, that's that's uh, the know, last thing that we need, is, is, is that genuine appeals would be... Uh, you know, also corralled in with what could be spurious appeals. But yes. I think we need to look at serial lodgement of appeals from... Uh, mm-hmm. I, I know there was a number of organisations, yes. not registered with CRO, not not part of the charities group, uh, yes. you know, and, and mischievous appeals yes. can be put forward under the guises of, of, of any... Purported NGO or, or organisation. So I, I think if, if 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 one thing the yeah. RTE investigates um, program last night has um, it's highlighted the need the need for more focus, certainly more staff to bring to bear in on board, uh-huh. board Planola. And and the reality of it is um, developers with integrity, uh, like we saw David Hogan uh, and his Watergrass Hill development last night, and that young couple who should be getting the keys of their house now, looking at a a damp and muddy field which should have been developed. Yeah. They're the real victims of this. Yeah, and and look, I think we should also perhaps highlight the role of people, citizens around the country who've gone to incredible um, lengths to engage in forward planning processes about their towns and their cities and their villages. You know, given their time, made submissions, taken part in participation processes, and they really are looking for high-quality places for their kids to to grow up in. So those people who take that creative involvement in the planning system are forgotten in many cases, and um, and because they, especially the younger generation, who've got great faith in um, in the environment, they know about sustainability, they know about what good places mean. Like we're not serving them well if we get caught up in these legal implications mm-hmm. and to be honest with you um, what we're really witnessing yesterday is tactics like everybody who takes part in these processes has a certain tactical approach developers sometimes have a tactical approach you know they may in some cases put count, lodge a counter appeal um, so that they can tactically negotiate with the potential objector. Sure. Sometimes objectors withdraw because they are fearful especially if you're an objector in a local area and people characterise you as the person stopping this thing which will bring jobs to our place. It's a very risky thing to do. And that's why um, it's, I don't it's, really... It's, it's a lot easier if, you, if you're living two or three hundred kilometres from the proposed development well, that's, to, yeah, to, so that's to, to lobby in an appeal. Uh, I've got to leave it there, Brendan. Thanks a million. Brendan O'Sullivan, head of the planning school at UCC. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm going to play our Christmas song very, very shortly. This is for Finton Reardon Christmas Trees. When you hear the Christmas song, our lines will open uh, on uh, 0818 104 106 and we will... 
giveaway two fabulous Christmas trees uh, you can text actually you can text it'd be easier because our phones are so busy this morning you can text when you hear the Christmas song 86 8104 we'll take text 9 and text 10 as soon as we start the Christmas song Cork's biggest conversation is here the Neil Brenderville show is on Cork's Red FM and a very good morning at 25 minutes to midday Neve Hagerty joins me from Middleton good morning Neve. Good morning. Thank you for inviting us on. No, no problem. All things Middleton for the next few minutes. Late shopping, live music, Santa Claus food, drink, family friendly. It's going to be huge. What's going on in Middleton? Yeah, so I suppose a lot of your listeners probably know about the flooding that happened in Middleton. Yes. Um, just over a month ago now. And as part of the Chamber of Commerce, we were trying to think of uh, ways basically of getting people to come to Middleton and really kind of create more energy in the town and build up trade coming up to Christmas season for all our businesses in the town. So we had created the Middleton uh, Jingle and Mingle Festival, which is this Friday the 8th and Saturday the 9th. So the whole idea is that people, we want you to come down and do your Christmas shopping, um, maybe order your Christmas turkey and ham, and then we'll have local school choirs singing across the day on Friday, uh, local parish choirs across the day on Saturday. We have Santa coming on Saturday as well at 10 a.m. to the town. Um, and then as well, up in the fair green, we have food traders, coffee traders, uh, merry rides on the Friday. And then there's also craft workshops happening. So there's loads. There's something for families. There's something for um, maybe you're looking for something to do this Friday night. Look, a lot of the local bars are doing different activities, like one of the local bars is doing whiskey tasting. So there's loads going on and discounts as well. Okay, so if you want to do that uh, present shopping, whether you've started or are nearly finished, uh, there's late night shopping till 8 p.m. Many of the yeah. shops are offering great deals. Fox and Co. and Flamingo apparently are offering 20% off clothing. And it's all about revitalising mm-hmm. Middleton after that hammer blow of the floods, isn't yeah. it? Big time. And I suppose, you know, there's still some businesses that unfortunately haven't reopened. And, you know, you can you, one of our Instagram accounts, Visit Middleton, you can follow. And we're, I suppose, advertising the businesses that haven't reopened, but you can still support them online through vouchers. Um, you can buy vouchers then for the businesses and people can purchase from them in the new year when they reopen. Um, but then a lot of the businesses pushed really hard to reopen so, yeah, like those um, retailers that you spoke of and like Split Ends, which is a hairdresser's, they're giving 20% off all their Christmas gift sets. Um, our local butchers, O'Farrell's butchers, are taking uh, Christmas orders and they have a special on turkey and ham. And so, you know, all of these businesses were affected by the floods and they worked really, really hard to reopen um, just in time for this really busy season. Um, so we're just trying to encourage people to come down and shop local is a big part of this as well. Yeah, there's a lot of rain coming tomorrow, by the way. You guys ready for it? <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. Um, I suppose there's been a lot over the past few weeks looking at how we can, I suppose, trigger better warning systems in the town and also floodgates. So we have, um, with the Chamber of Commerce and with County Council, we've been working really hard behind the scenes so we're trying to make the town I suppose more flood ready because it's a long a long road ahead before there's anything changed within the town in terms of flood uh, defences yeah, and of course if you if you confine your attendance in Middleton to only Friday and Saturday you'll miss Santa Claus because he's not coming until Sunday 
Um, well, Santa's coming. No, Santa's coming on Saturday. Oh, Saturday. So beg your pardon. I was told Sunday. He's coming at 10 a.m. Yeah, oh, Saturday at 10am. I got Sunday at 10am on the screen here. My apologies. Yeah. Santa arriving on Saturday at 10am. Arriving in style? Yeah, so he's going to be getting a Garda escort all the way up the main street. And a local dance company is going to be escorting him up the main street as well with music. And he'll be walking around the town and the farmer's market. So people will have chances to say hello to Santa as well. Okay, and uh, for those who are not familiar with Middleton, never that easy to get parking on the main street, but you do have ancillary car parks, don't you? Yes, so there's car parks, Super Value have a really large car park, and then there's a car park down by the distillery, there's another one at the back of the town, and then also public transport, we've got a train system, okay. so you can get the train directly down, which is quite convenient. All right, brilliant. We wish you all the very best, with a lovely name for it as well, Jingle and Mingle. Uh, I wonder are any other towns around the county doing this sort of jingle and mingle sort of effort. But we wish you all the very best in uh, in Middleton Friday and Saturday. Uh, Santa arriving at uh, 10 a.m. on Saturday. And discounts in shopping and in butchers and in uh, uh, pub attractions and all that kind of thing over the course of the weekend. So back on their feet, Middleton, we wish you all the very, very best. Okay, thanks very much. Now, on the topic of bringing life to towns, uh, maybe not such a happy story. Rob Colin joins us. Uh, He joined us in much happier form last year. Rob is of the Boatyard in Cove. Good morning, Rob. Hi, Mick. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on. No, not a bother. Your your Boatyard was given 24 hours to close due to unresolved planning and zoning issues. You duly closed. Um, I I assume made another uh, application, but it didn't work out. Yeah, unfortunately, they just um, completely just shut it down. It was just uh, like there was just it was just a no. They didn't even come back with kind of uh, you know if we do a couple of changes or something. And kind of what they shut us down for it just it doesn't really seem to make sense. You know the reasons is that um, like firstly it was a commercial premises and then it was actually uh, rezoned. It got uh, planning for residential uh, actually apartments. That's right. Um, yeah. And since then, we obviously went ahead with the boatyard just to kind of boost the the whole town itself. So, um, did, even did, did they say it's not a commercial premises anymore then? Um, well, yeah, they, like there was planning a couple of years back there that uh, it actually got granted for uh, for residential use, a kind of a residential and mixed re- residential and other uses. But it's the whole thing that's kind of contradictory is uh, that they're saying that. Um, it's in a flood zone, number one, and number two, it's it's taking away from the town centre that they're trying to promote. Uh, it's saying that there's some sort of act here um, that's basically just, it, it, it's a no, you can't do anything outside of uh, Cove Town, it seems like what they're saying to us, even though, like, we're not actually taking away from the town itself because so many of our customers actually come from the city and it's all over Cork just to come down and... And, f- and from the other side on the ferry as well. So the uh, the owners and the staff and workers in Roasted Coffee, Hooked, Handsome Black Poppy Tattoo Studio and Harbour Burger, as well as a beauty salon, uh, which, uh, you know, they're still there. You can see them all housed in colourful shipping containers next to the uh, Cross River Ferry. Uh, they're all going to be out of work for Christmas. 
That's right, Mick. Um, I, I think there's about 25 people now, unfortunately, and and like the staff, the local people, I just feel so sorry for, and uh, also the vendors, you know, like there's even them, uh, the tattoo parlor, they put a lot of money into the place down there, and I just feel so sorry for them, but uh, unfortunately, they just have to close and that's yeah, it. You've, you've even put Cove on the map with BBC star Vanessa Feltz, who called the market absolutely brilliant. So you you like do you have no idea the amount of uh, support we got whether it was influencers or just the local community like we we did have a lot of kind of celebrities down and stuff like that and like even we just we just feel so sorry because it was like mainly for the staff and the local community and just the customers it's just it's just I I honestly think it's a disgrace um I just if I could get more answers but I'm just I'm petrified now that it it's constantly going to be a no and unfortunately like to have to reapply again and like Simon Coveney is trying to help us now at the moment he's actually a local man he's living not too far from the boatyard and it's not his jurisdiction it's not actually in his uh, in his zone but he's he's doing all he can we're, we're doing a pre-planning meeting now and hopefully we can actually get some more answers to see what we can do there but to be honest it's, it's a bit of a blow that we can't actually we, we've, proved, we've proved the concept that it can work and it's great for for you know obviously for local workers it's great for the town itself it's great for just Cork itself so I, I just I don't see why it's they, great, great they, to grab a coffee if the ferry's on the other side you're going to be waiting anyway literally that's it yeah. alright all right, Rob we'll, uh, we'll keep in touch with you and uh, it, this looks like this is not just a close but it's a close and a no you can't reopen and yeah. if there's anyone out there, any planners or anyone that thinks they could help me out um, with this kind of pre-planning meeting or, you know, that would be in the know that uh, could sit down in the pre-planning meeting with me, if they could come forward, send me an email, I'd really appreciate it. Just Is it a the, Cork County Council or a Cove Urban District Council decision? Yeah, it's, it's the County Council. Okay, petition maybe, maybe an avenue you could... I, you, you could I think so. You, you could I look at... So. Rob, thanks a million. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thanks, thanks, cheers. So Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Rob Colin, and uh, they're not going to have uh, a very happy Christmas. Roasted coffee, hooked, handsome black poppy tattoo studio, Harbour Burger, beauty salon. Uh, there's a fuel depot there as well, but all closed down. doesn't fall far from the tree as they say that's Nat King Cole's little girl Natalie Cole sadly now no longer with us and that's one of the uh, less played Christmas song which is why I really consider it a favourite it's not uh, played to death from the uh, day after Halloween like some of the other ones are and uh, every shop you go into and every radio programme that comes on they're all playing the same Shaken Stevens and that kind of thing anyway that's Natalie Cole and no more blue Christmases uh, we have Christmas tree winners in Eileen O'Keefe in Turner's Cross and Bird Bernie Dillon in Yall, and you're both winning uh, Finton Reardon Christmas trees, the most environmentally friendly in Cork. The stats are there to prove it. Uh, it's a sustainable and organic approach to Christmas trees. Pick your own from one of their two locations, Centre Park Road and Currabeg in Ovens. A tree to suit everyone. Uh, if you've got only a little space, you can get a two-foot tree. If you've got a big space, you can go right up to a 30-foot tree and they're also members of the Irish Christmas Tree Growers Organic Farming Association Forestry Association and Carbon Credit Groups Ireland two Christmas trees to give away every day and uh, our two winners Eileen O'Keefe and Turner's Cross and Bernie Dillon in Yall can go along to either of those two locations and pick up their Finton Reardon Christmas tree at Centre Park Road or Currabeg in Ovens Guys. 
This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Michelle Jeweler's on the way, but first let's give away uh, a paddy box. Patricia Ring is on line one. Hiya, Patricia. Hiya, Mike. Now, I'm who's excited. special in your life that deserves a paddy box? Well, I have my daughter Deirdre, my daughter Neve, my sister Maraid, and her husband Cahill, and her children Maeve, John and Ronan, all in Perth in Australia. Perth in Australia, not in Scotland. Yeah. All there, yeah. And, and uh, wh- why are they all over there? Maraid and Cahill are there about 25 years and then my daughter Deirdre took a gap year from college and went out there and fell in love with Australia. So when she came home, um, she qualified and headed straight out. Oh, fantastic. And, and so, then Neve went last Christmas and came home and has gone back out now to spend um, a few months working outside there as well. Just to So you, you must be very there. grateful that you have a sister out there to keep her and an eye on her nieces, your daughters, while you're so far it, away. It is. It's, it, you know, it's like a comfort blanket to know that if anything happened, if they were sick, if they needed a doctor, even though they're about 40 minutes, 45 minutes from each other, they're very close. Yeah, Perth's a wonderful city. It's the same population as Dublin, 11 times the size, and it's the most isolated city in the world. 3,000 miles to the nearest next city. Uh, So it's good good to have uh, Maraid out there. I wonder how Maraid is getting on. Maraid! Oh. Hello! Hello, Maraid. Yep, hi. You're you're there. Surprise for Patricia, huh? Oh, hi, Maraid. Oh, hi. How are you? I didn't expect you at the other side. <laughs> well, what's on the way to you guys is the potato, cheese, and onion, Barry's tea, Cadbury's dairy milk, Cadbury's purple snack, Kimberly's macado, custard creams, uh, sweets. Too many to mention. McDonald's curry sauce, Ballymaloo relish, uh, the messages bag, wow. and Tanora as well. So, well done to all concerned oh, with Paddy Box and. Uh, Best wishes to all of you in 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 Perth and to all in Cork for Christmas. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thanks, thanks a million. Very much. Thanks a million. Thanks, Pat. Marie, don't get sick. Okay, thanks, I'll guys. Thanks, thanks a million. Thanks. thanks. So thanks. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, now then, our main competition of the day is with Michelle Jewellers, who is 60 years in business in Cork. It's a family-run business with bespoke jewellery for any occasions. Uh, MichelleJewellers.ie for more details. And uh, We played our cue to call, and uh, we have on the line, on line two, we've got John Long in Carrigaline. Hiya, John. Hey, Mick, good morning. It's your mother's birthday today, so you're going to have to hand over this €200 Euro voucher if you win it. Yeah, unfortunately, so I'm paying for her. And on line three, <laughs> on line three, we've got Noreen McGrath in Douglas. And if you win, you're going to spend it on yourself, are you? <laughs> yes, Mick. <laughs> OK, we have stripped out the deck to just diamonds only. The rules here are two is the lowest, ace is the highest. Uh, your first, John Long in Carrigaline. Pick a number. I'm shuffling them now. I'll stop when you pick a number and then we'll count them out. Go on. Uh, five, please, Mick. Five. One, two, three, four. And the fifth one is the five of diamonds. Okay. Uh, now I'm going to just take a quick shuffle. And uh, Noreen, you've got a good chance here. There's only a few lower cards, so you need the highest card. Noreen, pick a number. And uh, number seven, please. Seven. One, two. These are big cards. Three. 
I'm holding oh, it up. Good. It's live on Facebook. Uh, that means John is the winner. So well done to you, John. Uh, you're going to enjoy all of the personal attention and bespoke jewellery that's an offer in Michelle Jewellers. Thank you very much, Noreen, for coming on as well. Thank you. And we're going to give that, that 200 euro voucher to you with Michelle the Jewellers over 60 years in business in Cork. Thank you both. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Bye bye. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. And my thanks to the Neil Prenderville Show producers Kevin Galvin, Seamus Whelan and Claire O'Connor. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.